Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Today's episode is brought to you by Your Story Transmedia, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in Winnipeg. If you're someone who enjoys comic books, gaming, and general nerd culture, you should check out Your Story's entire lineup of published comics, including their flagship comic, The River Knows, which is set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. It's a supernatural, hard-boiled, noir detective story featuring elements of shows like X-Files, a little bit of Mad Men, and maybe even some Sin City thrown in for good measure. It's got a unique story and a fairly familiar location, especially when you catch some of that famous crossing of Portage and Maine. You can purchase the ebook digital version of their first issue for just $1.99 at yourstory.ca. And if you would like a limited edition first printing of their 85 by 11 hard copy version, you can also find it online for just $11.99. If you're into gaming, Your Story will also be publishing Alien Machine Glow within the near future. Alien Machine Glow focuses on the hijinks of a cucumber farmer who gains the ability to see aliens. You can learn more about Alien Machine Glow as well as Your Story's other comic books and media at yourstory.ca and be sure to use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Again, that is one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order at yourstory.ca. On tonight's episode, we are going to be updating the Alex Petrangelo contract debacle because apparently he is asking for a whole load of money and I think we can rule out a number of teams that he has been connected with already. We are also going to be taking a temporary break from our Stanley Cup Finals coverage, which is technically supposed to start tonight, but of course, I would rather recap a couple of games at once than have to go through one at a time. We've also been putting off our Winnipeg Jets player reviews because, unfortunately, things keep happening in the NHL and I haven't had time to talk about it, but... I thought I would continue our series today, go with a bit more of a down-tempo feel, but we will get the uh, fun Alex Petrangelo stuff out of the way first. According to sources, it sounds like his camp was looking at somewhere around $9 million a season. Look, I I know that guys ask a lot of money in free agency, and camps will leak whatever they want when they want to start at least the discussion for a contract, but $9 million being your starting point? There is literally no team in the league right now that could even begin to afford something like that, and I think I think Petrangelo's camp knows this pretty well. This is just a negotiating tactic, but, you know, if, if you're starting at $9 million, where exactly are you willing to settle? He already declined St. Louis's offer of around 7.7, which I get because he didn't know what the contract structure was going to look like, and there could have been issues with how St. Louis wanted to pay that money out, especially if it wasn't guaranteed. That said, if you're heading to free agency, $9 million for a guy who is already 30 is, is quite a bit of money. And, like, I, I think that he is a very good defenseman. I think the biggest question, though, is at his age, how much time does he realistically have to continue performing at a top level as an elite defenseman? And I think that that is a very legitimate question for whoever takes that contract on. I said it on last night's episode. I don't really think that there are many teams that would be interested in signing him for seven years, especially with COVID and how tight the cap situation is likely to be over the next couple of seasons. You would need a team that's got a lot of cap space and that can afford term that needs a top pairing defenseman. And I guess you could look at a team like Montreal, which has historically always been salary poor in terms of how much they're actually spending, and they usually sit under the cap. But I think if you're Montreal, you want to skip this contract too. He'd obviously a big boost on that back line, but for a lot of reasons, it's just not a deal that I think many teams would be looking for. I think if you were to say $9 million for like four or five years, it is technically more livable, but I don't know that I would be really signing up to go for that one either. 
it's just a lot of money and a lot of term to throw down, and I'm not really feeling like there's a squad that's going to be in a good position to pay that money. We certainly know the Maple Leafs and the Vegas Golden Knights are unlikely to be able to be in a cap situation where they could even think about that contract, let alone putting pen to paper on that deal. There's just not a situation where that's going to be possible, and I don't think that Toronto would ever want to do a deal like that anyways. Even if they had the cap space, I think Dubas knows exactly what he's looking for and what he expects from a top-pairing defenseman, and I think a guy at 30 years old signed for six to seven years, probably not high on his priority list. The Golden Knights definitely can't afford him either. Given their recent signings, I feel like they would be more comfortable with an older player, but by the same token, I think that they tend to think a little bit more like the, the Leafs. Most of their D are in their, you know, mid to later 20s, so they're not really looking for guys who are getting closer to retirement than they are their prime. And I think that that is going to be true for both teams. You know, Toronto definitely has a more pressing need for a top-end defenseman, especially a righty. But the odds that they can find a way to negotiate this contract are going to be slim if you're starting at, like, a little over $9 million as your starting point for contract negotiations. you got to start with something that's a little bit more in range with what you might expect. And yes, you could argue that Petrangelo is asking fair market value for a top-end defenseman who is a UFA, because that's what often happens with free agents, is you get a really high starting point, and you kind of work down from there. But I also think that in this market, it's just different. You know, COVID has changed financial projections for most of these teams, and the, the flat cap is going to make it really hard going forward. So Petrangelo, I don't know where he's going to end up. I feel like there aren't many options for him, and maybe the best option is just to stay in St. Louis and sign as some kind of free agent. He wouldn't have to relocate. He can stay with a comfortable team that really likes him. And I think that their contract offer, as long as it wasn't too crazy and structured in a way that would kind of screw him over, I think that that would be a fair offer. In case you're wondering if the Jets should think about signing Petrangelo, the answer is no. I, I don't think that he is exactly who I'd be after, especially with where Winnipeg's roster is and the cap situation is. I'm not really looking at that kind of salary and thinking that that is a cap hit that I want. As good as Petrangelo still is, I think that we're kind of looking at a potentially different Bufflin situation. Now, Bufflin, you know, obviously his exit was probably a bit messier than what would happen when Petrangelo decides to depart. But I also wouldn't really be comfortable signing a 30-year-old defenseman to a long-term deal, especially a guy who could potentially start having injuries as time goes on. You know, your body isn't getting younger, and Petrangelo has definitely logged a lot of miles on his legs. If he did come to Winnipeg on a contract that was, I guess, quote-unquote, reasonable for the timing, you know, I, I could live with it. I just feel like the Jets would have to move out salary, and I don't really see a, a good way to do that without sacrificing some of the young players and talents that I think this team is really defined by. I also think the Jets have a lot of defensemen coming up in the pipeline. They've got guys like Kavanki, they've got Sandberg, who will probably make the lineup next season. Heinola, of course, will definitely be in. And then you've got other guys like Chisholm in the long term, maybe Kovacevic. And I, I think that there is an outside chance that Pionk would also stay. And if, if for some reason the Jets do trade for Matt Dumba, suddenly your blue line is looking pretty crowded. Petrangelo would probably be better than most of those players, but by the same token, he's also going to cost you, you know, $8 million probably, I think is where they would settle at. $8 million seems about right. And that, for me, is going to be a no-go. I'd rather the Jets in-house their, their solution, or at least try and look for a better trade option than go for a really expensive free agent. Speaking of in-housing things for Winnipeg, I also wanted to cover some of the player reviews that we have yet to get to. But before then, I wanted to have a bit more of a serious conversation with some of our listeners. For a lot of men, talking about erectile dysfunction is pretty difficult. You know, it's a personally embarrassing thing, and I know a lot of guys don't feel comfortable either going to their significant others, talking about it with their doctors, or tackling the issue head-on. You know, usually men brush it off saying things like I've lost my mojo or they just try to avoid the problem altogether by saying I've had a long day at work or I'm just not in the mood. 
With Roman, though, it's finally easier to talk about it because you can speak with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. Using Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A healthcare pro will work with you step-by-step to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. Getting started with Roman is extremely easy. Just go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNHL today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNHL. GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNHL. Dealing with ED used to be difficult, but thanks to Roman, it's easier than ever. So don't delay. Connect with a healthcare professional today and get back to living your life the way you want to. Picking dinner during quarantine can be pretty tricky. We're all busy doing laundry, trying to maintain our households, and we've got plenty of picky eaters and families who demand either only the best or they all want different things. Someone might want Chinese, somebody else might want pizza, the third member of the family might even want frozen yogurt. And if you're panicked about trying to satisfy everyone, DoorDash has your back. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is super easy. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery option. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-to spots or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Now more than ever, it's important to support your local restaurants and bars. And DoorDash makes it not only easy, but rewarding to do so. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero deliveries on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKEDONNHL. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKEDONNHL. You can get crowd-pleasing food from your favorite spots and save a few dollars along the way. So don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONNHL for $5 off and zero delivery fees your first order with DoorDash. Welcome back to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets show. We're restarting our player reviews on the season, and we are going to start with a couple more skaters that I think tend to get a little bit overlooked. And these are guys who maybe people aren't thinking about as much or don't have a really great handle on how they've played. And the first guy we'll talk about is Dmitry Kulikov. Now, Kulikov, I think, has always had something of a specter hanging over his shoulder because when he was signed, he was signed for three years, I believe, for about three and a half million per. Pretty much across the board, most people felt like this was an overpayment because, you know, he was a free agent defenseman, but Kulikov had been spending time in Buffalo and Florida, and his results really weren't that inspiring, especially when he was with the Sabres. Kulikov ended up getting lured in by his friend Mark Shifley, who convinced him that Winnipeg was a good spot, and the Jets gave him a fairly generous contract. What's followed since his signing has been plenty of injury-riddled seasons, really lackluster performance, or just straight-up bad performances, a lot of mistakes that have gotten punished in his own end, and general lack of defensive awareness. I think the thing with Kulikov is that, in some ways, when he gets himself into trouble, he really struggles to figure out the best way to get himself out, and so he often takes penalties instead, which is not exactly what you want to see. This year was a bit up and down for him, especially the first half right before he got injured. And then he got injured, and of course he was out for several games, and then he came back, and he was actually a very good player once he returned. The thing with Kulikov is that when you look at his shot impacts, especially scoring chances against in his own end, he tends to have a pretty good result in that he shuts down most of his opponents, especially when he's able to successfully use his combination of physicality and his positioning. The thing with Cooley is that he is actually capable of locking down opponents and winning battles along the wall and forcing turnovers when he's not fully pressured. If he's got a decent defensive partner, Kulikov is actually a fairly okay second-pairing defenseman, especially in his own end. He doesn't give you a whole lot in transition, and he's certainly not an offensive defenseman, but as far as 
I guess his own end work is concerned, Kulikov is not bad. If he were signed to a deal under $2 million, like say a million and a half or so, I think that that would be very good value for the kind of play that he brings. He is a little bit more of an old-fashioned defenseman, and I think in some ways that's not always what you want in the modern game, but he's also not a bad option when you need defensively-minded skaters who you can trust to some degree to handle some of the more gritty, grindy aspects of breaking up four checks and trying to disrupt play in your own end. I'm going to give him like a C-plus to a B-minus this season because there were parts of his year that weren't so great, and he definitely missed a lot of time, but when he was playing well, especially after his injuries, he was pretty reliable. I wouldn't say that he had enough games to really push my rating higher than that, but I think that he could realistically argue for a B minus, and I think that that's fine. The next couple of guys we'll talk about I'm going to group together because I tend to see them a little bit in similar lights, and that's Anthony Botetto and Lucas Abisa. They were both seven defensemen who signed on for very cheap contracts, short term, and kind of filled a, a couple of different roles for the Jets. For the most part, these guys were asked to be on the third pairing, or occasionally when they had injury spates, a little bit higher. And I think that they did exactly what you'd expect them to. You know, both are not great defensively in terms of trying to gap control, force turnovers, and skate with a puck out of the defensive zone avoiding trouble. That's not exactly surprising because these guys tend to be a little bit more of the old-fashioned defensemen of being physical shot blockers and trying that option more so than being transition experts and defensive zone exit specialists. I think as far as their performances are concerned, they basically did exactly what I expected them to, which was not really have a great effect on shot impacts. I, I think for the most part, what we saw is what you expected from two guys who are traditionally used as more of seventh defensemen on a bench. Both were signed to bargain deals for the most part, so I guess I really can't complain. Botetto especially was, I think, what, like $775,000? They played enough games where I feel like you got your money's worth, relatively speaking, but, you know, as far as cycling new in defensemen for the next couple of seasons, I'm sure that at least one of the two guys will be finding a new team within the near future. Future. I actually, for some reason, have a, an attachment to Potato. He seems like a cool dude, and I've caught some of his gaming streams. And as far as, like, a public-facing rep for the Jets is concerned, Potato seems to be a really nice guy. He's definitely had an active role in the community, from what I understand. So I'd definitely be cool keeping him around for another year or two. He can also be trusted to fill in when emergencies do happen, especially injuries. So, you know, Potato, sign him for, like, another league minimum deal or something, and I don't think you'll be too upset. I do have to assign a letter grade though, and I guess I'm going to give these guys, like, again, probably like a C to a C+. They did exactly what I expected them to. They were replacement level or slightly below replacement level defenders, and that is what it is. I think Potato actually had slightly weaker results than Sabisa did, but at this point I'm not really going to say that it makes that much of a difference. They are who we expect them to be, and that's fine. I think the bigger concern is just making sure that you don't have too many of these guys occupying top four roles, because if you start running into that situation, I think that you're going to have some real issues. At one point, I'm pretty sure Sabisa was playing with Josh Morrissey, and if you've reached that stage of things, you're definitely panicking a little bit more than usual. As you can guess, building a defense out of depth defenseman is probably not the way to success. And the same can be said when you're building a workout regimen or a weight loss program. And that's why Built Bar is back with a brand new recipe and slate of flavors so you don't have to settle for the boring old protein bars you're used to. If you've ever had a protein bar, you know what I mean when I say most of them are pretty crappy. Built Bar knows your pain and has come up with a protein bar that's more like a candy bar with a dark chocolate outside and a softer, chewy inside. The new and improved Built Bar line now adds six additional flavors to the existing 12, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, 
carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. From the existing 12 flavors, if you want to give those a try, I highly recommend the raspberry and mint brownie flavors. And if you can't choose just one, be sure to try their sample variety pack that lets you try a whole range of flavors so you can find the perfect one that's just for you. Better yet, Built Bars not only taste great, they're also great for you, with most coming in at under 200 calories, around 5 grams of net carbs, and between 15 to 18 grams of protein. When you head on over to BuiltBar.com and place an order, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your next order. Again, that is promo code locked on to get $10 off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Jets show. Closing us out tonight, we are going to be doing one or two more player reviews, and I suppose we will start with Tucker Pullman. Much like a lot of the defensemen I've already covered throughout this series, Pullman was asked to do a lot of things that he's probably not capable of handling. Tucker is like a third-pairing defenseman, and in that role, he really excels. I feel like he's a good puck mover, Uh, You know, when he's he's playing softer minutes, he's actually pretty okay making decisions, pulling off some nice passing, and he's actually a pretty offensively-minded guy when he's in the offensive zone. So I think that Pullman brings a lot of nice traits to a third-pairing role, but he wasn't often used in that specific spot. He was actually playing alongside Josh Morrissey for long stretches of the season, and I feel like we saw a lot of issues with that because Tucker's just not capable of of matching up against those top lines, especially for how little time and space there is. I think that he had to overthink his reads and what to do with the puck, which, you know, against these top players, you really don't have any time to do that, and they won't give you any space either. So Tucker wasn't over his head. I think his defensive results were getting absolutely caved in. Josh really couldn't rely on him to be that outlet because Morrissey himself was kind of swimming too. Over time, I think Maurice kind of recognized that Tucker maybe needed to have the minutes backed off a bit because he started getting noticeably lesser deployments, and the arrival of DeMello allowed him to sit, you know, either on the second pairing in emergencies or on the third pairing, which I think is the most preferable option. You know, I I think if you have a top four of DeMello, Morrissey, Kulikov, and Pionk, that's pretty okay. Your third pairing can be whatever with Tucker Pullman. But for obvious reasons, Pullman definitely had some issues in that top pairing role, which is not surprising. I mean, neither he nor Josh were able to handle that responsibility, and I don't think that they should be expected to in some ways. As far as like a letter grade for the season is concerned, Pullman probably gets like a C plus from me. I think that he was asked to do some really hard stuff. He wasn't capable of doing it, but he tried his best, and I will give him credit for the fact that he tried to do a lot of things that he probably wasn't capable of, even if the results weren't great. Speaking of results not being great, I also thought I would cover Laurent Brassois in this one because we've talked about Hellebuck being this team's MVP, but obviously Brassois last season was a pretty good backup and somebody who I thought came out looking very impressive, maybe even challenging for more starts throughout the season. This year was a complete reversal of that trend, and I think what we saw with Brassois was a regression to his Oilers days. I feel like he just really wasn't that great or trustworthy of a netminder, but as a backup, he's fine. Like, you can expect him to eat a handful of starts here and there, hopefully more next season so that you don't burn out Hellebuck until the playoffs. But I also thought that he wasn't really as impressive as he was last year. You know, Brassois throughout several games last season was an absolute brick wall. We called him the Brassois for a reason. Dude was just good. And it was a really big surprise for a guy that I don't think anyone expected to be decent because, you know, obviously when he was with the Oilers, he didn't get too, too many starts. He was overlooked. And when he did play, he tended to surrender quite a few goals. I think that once he got out of Edmonton, people started to recognize that Brassois maybe could be a bit more of a reliable player, especially in that when you needed somebody who could make really fast saves and see the puck pretty well. I think the issue with him, though, this season was that his mechanics looked a little bit less firm, and he seemed to have trouble tracking the puck as well as he did last season. 
some of the stuff that he did just looked a little bit sloppier, a little bit slower, and I felt like some of the technical skills he displayed last season really weren't as on display this year. Uh, you know, his movements around the posts weren't great. I felt like his post coverage was kind of so-so. It was just a bit of a step back for a guy who I thought was going to be a pretty good number two, especially if Hellebuck struggled at all of this season, which obviously that didn't really happen. I will probably give him like a C to a C plus. I think that he did more or less the role that he needed to, which was spell Hellebuck a couple of games. I don't think that he was particularly bad, but he also wasn't great either. So like an average rating for me feels pretty fair. Kind of the trend with this group of players that I was talking about today is most of them were fairly average, which I guess is not the worst thing, but also not really what you want when you have a team that just a couple of seasons ago was trying to compete for a Stanley Cup final spot, right? So a little bit sad, but hopefully the future will be brighter for this team and we can stop being depressed about Jets hockey. That is going to do it for today's episode. On Monday, I'm sure we'll have some Stanley Cup Finals coverage for you. But for now, thanks so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato. Have a great night, and go Jets go!